for most of us, maybe especially people who have HA, routines, as I said, have become like so important and it can be really hard to break them. But then once you do, it becomes a lot easier. Yeah. And I know for me, being on the other side, I could never imagine going back to what I had been doing. I've been like deprogrammed, if you will, with the sort of like, I must exercise this amount, I must eat this amount. I don't believe that anymore. So why would I do that? Really took a lot to get me to stop having those beliefs. That was the hardest part. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was living a different way and seeing what happened. Wow, it's not what I believed would happen. Like it's the total opposite. I think that that was an interesting thing. Welcome to the Period Recovery and Fertility Podcast. Here we discuss the challenging, rewarding, and life-changing process of recovering your period and finding freedom with food and exercise. Whether you're hoping to regain your cycle to get your health back on track, or you're ready to become a mama, this podcast is for you. While the recovery process isn't always rainbows and butterflies, it's my hope to bring you both information and inspiration during your own recovery journey. I'm your host, registered dietitian and fellow HA woman, Lindsay Lawson. Hey everyone, welcome back to Period Recovery and Fertility Podcast. I'm really excited about this episode because a lot of times when I'm bringing on guests, they're either um, an expert in women's health in something semi-related to HA, but not exactly, um, or they're a past client of mine. And so someone might be like fresh out of recovery. Well, today I'm bringing on my friend, Kristen, who I actually met, um, oh my gosh, has it been seven years? Like, it was 2017. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, 2017. So coming up on seven years. Um, mm-hmm. And we went through HA recovery together. We have kids like similar ages. And so what I thought would be fun for this episode is to kind of share with you guys like what recovery looks like six to seven years mm-hmm. later. Like what can you go back to a normal life? Like what it feels like? What are our reflections? Um, so let me just start by letting Kristen introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about like yeah. who you are, what you do, where you're located, and maybe even some tidbits about your, like how you fell into aging. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I'm so excited to be on your podcast. I have to say, I mean, you honestly were like the inspiration for me kind of taking a leap and starting my own um, company and everything. So I just want to say how, again, like inspired I've been kind of watching you and grow you this community and everything. Um, but yeah, so my name is Kristen. Um, I currently live in Boston, Massachusetts. And as Lindsay said, we met back in 2017. I had, you know, gotten married in 2016, wanted to start a family. And I, I knew it was going to be rough because I hadn't had a cycle for 20 years. Um, now that was partially because I was on the pill for a large majority of it, but I had gone off the pill, I think when I was like 23 or 22 and my cycle was MIA. Um, and thankfully, you know, and I can get a little bit more into like my history and everything. I mean, while I was kind of like on the pill and leading up to my wedding, I had started to learn a little bit about HA. I actually had heard Nico, um, so Dr. Nico Sykes, uh, who wrote No Period Now What. I had heard her on a podcast and it was like a light bulb went off. When I first heard about HA, I was like, oh my gosh, that is what I have. Because, you know, rewinding a little bit, I was never diagnosed with HA. I was diagnosed with PCOS. I was put on metformin and I was on metformin for a long time. And again, like always kind of thought I was going to need some kind of fertility treatments to have kids. Heard her on a podcast again, like as I was kind of gearing up to like get ready to have children and all that, I was listening to, uh, it was actually, uh, oh gosh, what was the one? She wrote the fifth vital sign. Lisa Henderson, Jack. So fertility Friday podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I was listening to that and that's where I I heard the interview. Anyway, long story short. So I (laughs) sound so much, heard so much of myself when she was talking about HA. I was like, I definitely have this realized I had to kind of go through the whole recovery process 
process, did it and like ended up pregnant in, in about two months. But as you said, that's how I met you, Lindsay. Yes. And um, yeah, I mean, it's been now, I guess the whole recovery journey, and we can get into this. I'm sorry if I'm kind of all over the place. Um, the recovery journey, I think I was very fortunate, I think, to have gotten pregnant early. I think some people have a different experience, but for me, it, it was a difficult process. I mean, I, you know, I think I gained, and I'm not sure if we can talk, you know, weight and stuff, but a decent amount when I was pregnant. And it was, it was, it was again, it was a very kind of for me, an emotional experience, right? Because, but, but it felt like, okay, I'm gaining all this weight for this like purpose of creating a human. And then when I came out the other side, it was funny because after I gave birth, I was, I had sort of developed intuitive eating, having gone through pregnancy. And when I came out the other side, you know, your body kind of naturally starts to go back to where it sort of wants to be. And so you kind of are almost on the other side, but you know, I, it was funny because I kind of settled into this size which was way above what I ever would have thought was okay. And I thought I looked great, right? After having a kid, I was so like proud of my body and I felt so awesome about myself. And so kind of going through that experience of like being at a higher weight and feeling like, dude, I look phenomenal. And I have this kick-ass like kid and like, I'm just so high on everything. It made it a lot easier. And I think it gave me the chance to kind of heal my metabolism. And so had I, I don't know, I just think I was very fortunate in kind of how that whole journey went so that I was able to almost like get over it while I was pregnant. But I know for a lot of people it can be the opposite because it was a very emotional thing kind of going through the weight gain of pregnancy and all that. I mean, I gained quote unquote over the like recommended range. It was, it was definitely like, I felt bad about it. But then again, coming out the other side, I was like, hell Yeah. I'm yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, no. And I think that that's an important point. I had a pretty similar experience. I usually see the body image stuff show up for people um, pretty strongly in one of two places. And my experience was very similar to yours, <laughs> either during pregnancy and just being like, oh my gosh, like I'm not having a belly only pregnancy. I'm gaining oh, yeah. weight, um, you know, and mm-hmm. really struggling with it in pregnancy or feeling fine during pregnancy and really struggling postpartum. So those are kind of like the, yeah. I, mean, I, I, I see both. My experience was really similar to yours, but it is very purposeful, um, mm-hmm. you know, in gaining weight for pregnancy, the metabolic healing, the uh, nutrient repletion that goes on yeah. when you're gaining and maybe even over gaining the recommended mm-hmm. amount during pregnancy. It's all very purposeful, um, yeah. but you can't always feel that way. And sometimes that happens for people, maybe if, you know, you're listening and you're not trying to conceive yet, you might be in that weird gray area of still weight restoring, figuring out like your body relearning what at set point weight range is, yeah. and you're not pregnant and you don't necessarily have have that, you know, airports excuse. I know that I hear that from a lot of people being like, oh, well, if I was just pregnant, then I I wouldn't care. Um, But it can really exist during pregnancy too. It's funny, actually. And one of the things I don't think people talk about, you know, and one of the reasons I think I found pregnancy as hard as I did is, you know, like I said, I did gain a lot of weight, especially early on. I think I was sort of still in the body recovery, like weight restoring phase while also (laughs) being early pregnancy. And so there's also such a focus between the belly shots. Like we had that pregnancy, the the HA support group. And I love that group. I mean, they're literally, I'm seeing Kaylin next week. Like we're getting our kids together. Like I love the group so much. I almost had to like 
take myself out of the group because I felt like I was, there was such, again, an emphasis on belly shots and bump shots and weight gain and, you know, the what to expect boards or any pregnancy board. And it's supposed to be this like cute thing, like, oh, your belly shot. And, you know, you're kind of struggling with this whole concept of gaining weight. And then you're comparing yourself like, oh, but this is how I look and that's how they look. And they have this cute belly and I don't. And so that was actually really hard. Um, a lot harder than I was expecting. Like there is never a situation where everyone is so uber focused on your belly <laughs> that when you are pregnant and your doctor is weighing you all the time. And like, I tried to do the way backwards thing. Yeah. And then I like, of course, saw it in my chart. Like, so well, you do have to be like hyper diligent if you're going to do blind yeah. hands. Um, I did it for the first time with my third pregnancy and cannot recommend it enough. I thought it was incredible. I had the best like body image experience during my third pregnancy, not knowing my weight. And ironically ended up gaining the least amount of weight with my pregnancy mm-hmm. because I didn't know the whole time. And then yeah. when I was mm-hmm. getting induced, my nurse was like, what was, um, you know, what was your pre-pregnancy weight? And I was like, I don't know. She was like, <laughs> well, what, you know, what are you, uh, she was like, what did you weigh at your last appointment? I was like, I don't know. And she goes, oh, well in your chart, it says this number. So I'm just going to write that. Fan freaking tastic. But all that to say, like, I think that when somebody is going from HA to pregnancy and still on a body image healing journey, like those, like the dysmorphia follows you into pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Like I remember, and I didn't help myself. I remember my first pregnancy, like getting on Instagram and like searching for the hashtag, like 15 weeks pregnant. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, I am twice the size of that. Yes. (laughs) And the baby center pictures, by the way, like I love baby center, but they would have this picture and I'm like, dude, like who looks like that? I mean, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And like, I think with like size inclusivity, I, I, I hope that would, this will eventually spill over into like the, you know, perinatal area of being more inclusive about like, okay, like most people who are pregnant don't just look like a belly, a belly only pregnancy. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's normal. Like I wish yeah. there, again, I didn't help myself out. Cause I was like seeking out this information, um, and trying to feel valid only feeling worse. But mm-hmm. I also feel like, you know, diet culture or having like an ideal body is it's the same in pregnancy, right? Like, and there's that oh, it is. for everyone, but having been through three pregnancy now and knowing just like genetically where my body is happy, I think that I like built up all this fear that like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so hard to lose the pregnancy weight. And I know for some people, it actually is. I know people that gain yeah. weight while they're nursing instead of lose weight, like everyone has different experiences, but I think that probably the reason why it's so hard for those of us with HA, um, just knowing like personality traits and background is we love control and we mm-hmm. love predictability. And when you're pregnant, you can't control what your body is going on. I mean, I guess you could, but you can't healthfully control the way that your body gains weight. You definitely can't control how the weight gain is distributed during pregnancy. Like I remember being like, why are like, you know, why are my thighs pregnant too? And it's like, oh, because you gain weight all over. It's not just your belly. Um, but I I think that that hindsight's always 2020, but when you're in it, it sucks because you're like, oh my gosh, I can't control this. Like I feel out of control. Yeah. I think that that's one of the hardest things that people have to learn to cope with. Yeah. And I think in general, pregnancy is so hard because there's so much writing on it. And, you know, in the sense that to your point, there's so much you can control, not just with your body, but like with the actual pregnancy itself, there's so many rules with food where Mm. it's like, you can't eat soft cheese, you can't eat deli meat. And, you know, there's reasons for that. And I love expecting better because I'm one of those people that very much needs to have like, why? why can't I eat deli meat? Because, oh, by the way, you can, like, there's a risk of this. Mm -hmm. The risk is very small. You can make an informed decision. And, but, but it's one of those things where, again, it's like people get so 
worked up about, I accidentally had a sandwich or all these things because you, you just want what's best for your child. And, but again, it's, it's, it's a whole, it's a scary time. And so it makes sense to why people maybe do try to control because <laughs> it's well, the one thing I'm, you can. I'm glad that you brought up like just the, the restrictions with pregnancy, right? Yeah. Some are real, right? Like you should eat food that is cooked all the way. You mm-hmm. should not drink alcohol during pregnancy, right? Like there are real recommendations that are made for the safety of baby and for mom. And I think that this is a place where someone with a history of disordered eating can take things really far and really extreme. Um, I know there was one prenatal book that we have talked about um, that shares some really, really great researched information, but does it from a very matter of fact, slightly fat phobic lens that I've mm-hmm. personally heard from clients that is incredibly triggering. Oh my God. I, I read that book and it was incredibly triggering. And actually this is kind of interesting and a little funny is that, so with my first pregnancy, I was still in this sort of need to control everything, still afraid of carbs, like all that kind of fun stuff. And so I think one of the reasons also that I probably gained is so much, not so much more, but I think I gained significantly more than I did in my other pregnancies is that I wasn't really trusting my body. So it's like, I wanted to eat carbs. And I was like, no, I'm just going to eat like the protein and the fat. Cause this book says that I need to, you know, just eat the vegetables and just eat ah. when it's like, no, I need to eat like the mashed potatoes and the mac and cheese. Like, and that's fine. Right. Cause that's what my body needs. Clearly I need the sugar. I need the carbs. I need the energy and that's okay. And I think that that was one of the things that again, in my second and third pregnancy, like just being like not as focused on, I can, you know, I have to eat this certain way. And if I don't, it's not going to be good for my baby. Cause it's, that's the other thing. It's like, it's sort of positioned in this way where it's for the health of your baby. And like, what is more important than that? You know? So right, you want yeah, to be perfect. Like shaming you for wanting yeah. macaroni and cheese, because that's going to be bad for your baby when right. in reality, like, okay, well, like your mental health and your relationship mm-hmm. with them matter too. And I think what you just touched upon, like paints such an important piece of an intuitive eating journey is that if you are constantly trying to eat the right things, you can potentially be moving past the point of hunger, eating past the point of fullness without really honoring the craving And I think that that can cause people to potentially move outside their set point Mm -hmm. weight range. Um, And again, understanding that set point weight range is going to fluctuate during different times and different seasons. But Mm -hmm. I definitely see that in a lot of people that are trying to do recovery, the air quote, you know, healthy way um, and kind of missing this whole piece of like, well, yeah, but it's also about like honoring your body's need for like food for fun and for connection and like, yes, nutrition matters, but like food is more than just like the perfect nourishment for your baby. Like it's okay to like have the mac and cheese and potatoes during pregnancy, especially like, I know you didn't have a lot of nausea during your pregnancies, but like there are weeks like, and and I, by the, you know, second, third pregnancy, like I was like pretzels and pancakes until week 14. I was just like, this is what we're doing. And like, I'm not going to feel guilt about this. I'm going to get back Mm -hmm. to a place where I can have more fresh foods. But, um, but I think it's also really hard if you're reading this like very like dogmatic view of prenatal nutrition and you feel like absolute shit and all you can eat is a bagel. Yeah. It almost like probably not intentionally, but implied shame around eating bad foods for your baby. 
And I think, you know, again, this thing where it's like, I don't know, people sometimes like just focus on the micronutrients at the expense of the macronutrients. Yeah. But also there's, there are nutrients in a lot of these foods. Like you, you can eat mm-hmm. bread and it, it, it does have, you know, nutrients in it that you need. And I don't know, it's, I think like we come from, I mean, having been very seeped pre this whole journey in, you know, I would listen to like paleo podcasts and like, you know, the intermittent fasting, po- like all that kind of shit. And you start to believe these things about food and that, you know, rice is bad and like all this crazy stuff. And then when you get into like the other side where you're just, you start eating normally and you're like, wow, like that's, why did I believe that? You know, it's, it's just, I don't know. We're sold a lot of kind of BS about. Well, and I, I mean, I know you know this because like you're on TikTok, but it's just like that. I mean, this is honestly like a pathway into HA for so many people is it's like getting overly obsessed about the details of nutrition while missing the whole like zoomed out yeah. picture that like, are you eating enough calories, carbs, like eating enough macronutrients will probably take care of the micronutrients for you. Um, and mm-hmm. trying to be overly obsessed with like getting in enough vitamin C um, while restricting carbs is probably making you more unhealthy and more malnourished than if you were to, you know, not be eating yeah. vegetables. And I know that's like a hard truth. And so maybe this is also like a really great segue to tell a little bit more about like your story and pathway mm-hmm. into HA, because what yeah. I love about our stories is like our recoveries, like have mirrored each other. We've been there for each other during recovery. Um, but my background and how I developed HA is actually pretty different from yours. And mm-hmm. if you're listening and you don't know my full story, episode one on the podcast tells my whole recovery story and how I dealt with an eating disorder and how I recovered from my eating disorder for the most part, but still struggled with period loss and infertility. Um, but anyways, Kristen, why don't you share a little bit yeah. yours? Cause I know like formal eating disorder isn't part of your story and yeah. several, several, several people that I work with also don't have formal eating disorder as part of their story. So there's lots of different pathways that can lead to this you know, dysregulation of hormones and infertility. And so share a little bit about kind of how you got there. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's funny because I probably had HA for 20 years. So, I mean, like I obviously didn't know that at the time. I mean, if we kind of like backtrack, you know, as a kid growing up, I was, I was sort of a naturally thin kid and didn't really have to think about it. And then probably whatever, 12, 13 started to gain some weight. And I felt really crappy about it. And my mom, of course, saw me. And, And by the way, at the same time, I mean, I was at a school where, you know, I, I was like not cool at all. My best friend, also Jen, um, left to go to private school because she was so miserable. So, so that I was like by myself at the school. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of like gaining weight. Again, nothing like kind of where I think near my set point is supposed to be anyway, but I was gaining weight, didn't feel great about it. Fast forward three years, still no cycle, and was with my friends. And they we were actually with again Jen, my one of my other friends down in Florida. And they were like, oh, we're all synced up, like with them too. And I was like, oh, I haven't had a cycle in like three years. And Jen goes, that's not good. You should go see a doctor about that. It's interesting. So I went to the doctor, they did the standard test. They did the blood work. Blood work was normal. They did the um ultrasound to make sure of, you know, you don't have the uh, polycystic ovaries. And then they did uh the MRI. And the first doctor I saw said to me, you know, I think you might need to gain weight, which was bizarre to me because I actually was, it was a normal BMI. Um, so that was interesting that she said that. And I was like, this makes no sense. I'm actually, cause I, I had been like way under eating for so long. And then because I was like in New York city, it was super stressful. I started like right as the financial collapse was happening. I was worried about my job, like all this stuff anyway. So I was like, that doesn't make sense. So I ended up going to see another doctor and she was like, you have PCOS because I had, again, my skin was not great. Um, now, ironically, I think it was from over-exercise. 
this is why my skin was not good. Cause I find that the stress of overexercise, like too much cardio actually makes me break out. Okay. Um, and then the, so the, the two criteria, right? Not great skin, <laughs> acne and no cycle poof, you have yeah. PCOS. So when I heard that, I was like, yeah, this still doesn't sound right. So I went to see another doctor and she also diagnosed with PCOS. So I was like, okay. okay. So I went on metformin and was on that. And then also went back on the pill and was on that till I was again, like probably 2016 uh, or 2017, like I said. And that's when I started to listen to these podcasts to try to like, just understand, okay, like I want to have kids. I'm probably gonna need to have like whatever fertility treatments, all this kind of fun stuff. And that's how I learned about HA. And when I heard all the stuff, I was like, wow, this is me in a nutshell. One of the things though, that I have since discovered, because throughout this whole time, I very much like excessively over-exercised. So I was working out one to two hours every single day, excessively all cardio. Like it would be elliptical. It would be spinning. Um, I guess I, I, you know, I'd throw some Bikram yoga in there, but like I know you're saying that like you were spending so much money on spin classes in New York. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, cause each class was I think 30, yeah. 35. Okay. Yeah. 35. And then actually some of the classes are up to like 40. I mean, it's crazy. So yeah. So I was um, spending way too much money, but I, I think one of the things for me is that I think that the main co- contributor of the sort of cycle loss was definitely the over-exercise component. Um, I think my body had kind of gotten to a point where like it actually was forcing me to eat closer to a normal amount. Okay. Now in my head, that was way too much, yeah. but like now I'm like, no, I was probably eating less than I eat now, but yeah. it was still in my head too much, but I was exercising so much. So I think a big part of it was the over-exercise, but anyway, long story short, I ended up obviously like kind of quitting exercise, just walking. And when I learned how to quote unquote, like recover, I was like, great, 2,500 calories, let's do it. And yeah. easily went way over yeah. in the beginning and got my cycle back really quickly. Well, and like one thing that it sounds like you didn't encounter that I do hear about sometimes when people have the PCOS history and you probably just had like the wherewithal to be like, well, this never made sense for me anyways, but the reconciling of like, oh my gosh, well, like what if it is an HA and what if I'm eating all these carbs and I'm going to make my PCOS flare out of control? So it's funny. I think deep down, I think most people probably know, I think that PCOS is such an easy thing to like you you want to have the control. You want to eat you you want to eat the way you've been eating. It's an easy thing to say, no, 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 I really have that. That that sounds better, right? Then the yeah. the quote unquote solution is all this stuff that is that is acceptable to me. My number one thing is I wanted to have a kid. So I was like, I can either sit here and be like this, I mean, if, if I if I wasn't trying to have a kid, I probably would have said that. I'd be like, oh no, no, it's really this. But I was like, look, this is my goal. I'm going to do what I want to achieve my goal. And so it was, I think that's why for me there, it was easy, but I stayed on metformin by the way, through recovery. I still was like, it was like my little crutch. So I stayed on that through recovery and I went off it. My doctor told me to stay on it through 12 weeks, which I again, probably shouldn't have. And in hindsight, I kind of kicked myself. I'm like, I wish I wasn't taking like unnecessary medication during a pregnancy. But, um, so I, I sort of, I did stay on it as a crutch just in case, even though in my gut, I knew it wasn't, but I think it's to your point. It's so easy because you believe PCOS. Oh, look, look, you get to keep doing what you're doing. If you believe it's AJ, then, oh shoot, I have to do all the things that my head is, you know, deep down goes against everything that I have tried and worked against so, for so long, right? Like to control 
weight to control food. And now I'm being told to do the opposite. No, no. Okay. I, I like that PCOS diagnosis better. Yeah, that that sounds, sounds better. That sounds a little bit more in my, in my safety zone. Well, we actually have a coach on our yeah. team who had the PCOS misdiagnosis as well. Also took metformin all through her first pregnancy. Um, but it was funny because um, she also was a client before she was a coach in our program. When we started working together, it was like restricting carbs, restricting carbs, like no sugar, this is going to make my PCOS um, worse. And once we finally kind of got over the hump of like, well, let's entertain the idea that maybe it's not PCOS. Once she started incorporating carbs and even sugar back into her diet, she was pregnant immediately, carried to term. She had a history of like two losses before that. Um, and uh. so it's hard though, because, you know, I think that just like you were talking about how like you get all of this misinformation on nutrition and it's basically just like tattooed in your brain for yeah. infinity. Um, you do have to really push back and try. Like there's a lot of unlearning that has to happen. I think. Oh my God, a thousand. Well, and one of the things that was so interesting and like back to kind of this exercise idea is because like I said, for so long, I thought, I mean, I was an engineer, right? I'm a math person. Math makes sense. Yeah. You eat this much, you work out this much. Right. This is your net. Right. And even though that whole net idea, like when I was like very much calculating everything, knew exactly what my net number was, that didn't translate to anything on the scale happening, right? Like it was <laughs> right. like, it's, right. the, math, it it's, the math didn't math. Yeah. It didn't yeah. work. The math didn't math. But I still, it was so ingrained in me. I could, like, it just, it went against everything that, that I believed and so I think that that was one of the things that was so hard. And then when I ultimately, you know, stopping the quote unquote, like exercise where and now I, I do, I mean, I, I walk a lot because I, I love to kind of get outside and just, you know, go for a walk and like listen to a book on tape or listen to a podcast. Um, I really love doing yoga. Like I love doing that kind of stuff. It's funny. I think because I've been like in that cardio, like if I do cardio, I, I actually really love it. But like, I swear to God, it destroys me. Like my, I, I have no energy to like play with my kids or anything. So I'm like, I'm just not in a season of life of doing cardio, even though I do love it. Um, hopefully eventually I'll be able to do it again because I do enjoy it, but I'm not doing it because it, I think it's going to affect my weight. I'm doing it like if anything, it's going to probably make my weight go up, but mm -hmm. I'm doing it because it feels good. And sometimes I do, I will like get, I like sort of feel in my legs. I'm like, oh, okay. I really need to like, whatever, go for a walk, go for a run. Like you can feel it. You have like the intuitive movement is like a real thing. I worked out one time on vacation, which I wanted to do. And I was glad that I did. And then the rest of the days just didn't feel right. And so today like my routine self wanted to be like, wake up at 5am, go to the gym, get back into your routine. But when I like paused and really thought about it, I was like, you have been staying up till midnight, 1am the past three nights. Like, like, what does your body really need in this moment? And it was to sleep. And that doesn't mean that like, I'm not going to get back into an exercise routine at some point. I think most people listening to this podcast are routine enough and health minded yeah. to recognize that like the health effects of being in an exercise routine are really important. And that is not the only determinant of your health. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. Like feeling that urge to move when it's coming from a place of being in tune with your body and health promotion instead of punishment or trying to yeah. change the way that your body looks is very different. Um, mm -hmm. And I think like I can speak for both of us, like probably exercising less than we ever have and not feel it. Like, I remember just always feeling like, oh my gosh, like, and I'm taught, we were taught a lot this in school as dietitians, um, that like weight management is something that you actively have to work at like every single day for the rest of your life. And I just don't believe that to be true. And no, off of, you know, even just like, yeah. the numbers don't add up if you're expending X and mm -hmm. eating X and you're maintaining or even gaining weight. Cause I do feel like the body can fight back too in those like severe restriction mode. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it just doesn't add, like it doesn't work. 
Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I, you know, it's like, I don't consider myself exercising, I guess, like I technically am because when I take my kids to school, I usually choose to walk them to school. So it's like a, you know, it's, it's like a three mile round trip walk and I will do that and I'll walk and pick them up. So I probably get like five miles of walking a day, but it, it doesn't in my head, it's not exercise. Like it's just like getting out because it feels good. I mean, and yesterday it's was downpouring, so I didn't. I think, and that that that's, I think that that's just something that like kind of diet culture, like ingrains in us too and being like oh well in order for it to count it has to be done at a gym or it has to be yeah. a certain level and intensity when like when really we look at the research on exercise like the american college of sports medicine for improvement of cardiovascular health they say 150 minutes per week of moderate exercise moderate exercise mm-hmm. being getting your heart rate from anywhere between 100 to 140 beats per minute right so 150 minutes it's a 30 minute walk five times yeah. a week. That's yeah. a 50 minute walk three times a week, right? Like we're not shooting for the moon here yet. Yeah. We have been conditioned to believe that like it has to be five days has, of yeah. high intensity interval training class or a Peloton yeah. class for it to be real exercise. Well, and I think something on my honeymoon in the Maldives, I remember I had to go to the gym every morning and it would be like, so at the expense of hanging on, you know, being on the beach. Like we actually, like, it was actually really great. We like made a whole bunch of friends um, with these other like couples and like, they would have like a boozy like brunch and stuff. And I'd be like, okay guys, I got to go to the gym. And it's like, you know, there's time to to do it. And like, you could do maybe one day and then next day, but like, it doesn't have to be every day. Like it was every day. And I look back and I'm just like, why, you know, it's just, it like kind of, it just makes me sad. And I wish I could go tell my younger self, like, this is not, there was so much time that I wasted in the gym instead of being with friends and people. And yeah, I mean, I think to your point, like being in an exercise routine and having routines in general, I think routines to your point are really, really helpful. I think that they just, like you see it with kids, you see it with adults. I think routines are really, really good, but like the rigidity. And, and again, one of the things that I didn't have was the, the balance or the, the, the balance. I mean, it was like, it was cardio, intense cardio every day, Mm-hmm. Seven days a week. No I mean, matter how you brother, feel, no matter what, no matter how you feel, you're, like you're just, you're, yeah. yeah. And my, my younger brother is a, I mean, he went to Olympic trials, um, swimming. I mean, he's like a legit athlete. He wasn't even working out like I was working out, you know? <laughs> and like, he, like he was like a distance freaking swimmer. Like he was so good. And he would be like, you know, you should probably like lift some weights every once in a while or maybe take a rest day. And yeah. then it's like, duh, you know, but it's just, it's funny. Cause now I'm just in this point in my life where, I mean, like you, I have three kids, our kids are the same age and it's a lot. And so, you know, for me, like, I just, I'm not going to usually get the time to be able to go do an actual workout. I sometimes can do yoga with my kids, like under my, you know, <laughs> under my lap or whatever, but the, the walking is is a nice way to kind of just get movement and everything and feel good about it. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's great. And that's but the, I have to really like speak some truth to my, like trying to conceive clients about they're like, Oh yeah, well, I can't exercise like this while I'm trying to get pregnant. But like once I'm pregnant or like, well, you know, once I'm done having kids or whatever, then you know, then I can go back to doing, you know, my 90 minutes, seven days a week in the gym. And I'm like, I'm just going to bring you down to earth for a sec. Like you will not have time. And like, yeah. I think that in like this, like very like weird, ironic theme that like HA recovery is such great prep for motherhood because you might have kids that just eat chicken nuggets and you have to be okay with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be okay yes. with like, you know, having snacks with them. You have to be okay with like your 5 a.m. workout getting interrupted by a baby, you know, that yes. decided to wake up at 5 a.m. and now you need to take care of them, right? Like it's just such a great like prep for it. While routines are helpful and a lot of us thrive in routines and that's not a bad thing, there always needs to be flexibility in your routine for 
understanding that there's more to life than just exercising and eating clean or counting calories. Oh, a thousand percent. No, I mean, that's, that's in my mind, like such an important thing. And, you know, the kids, your kids are going to come out and have their own little personalities. And I mean, my oldest will not eat anything except for chicken nuggets and pasta. Like that is her diet. And I used to joke, it was like the Regina George in Mean Girls, like, you know, whatever. I can't go to Taco Bell. I'm on an all carb diet, like minus the chicken nuggets, which she doesn't even eat anymore. Now she literally just eats pasta, but like that is, that is my daughter's diet and that's fine. And, um, you know, we try to get her other stuff, but she's not always going to. And by the way, she can have the processed food. Like it's, it's okay if she has some processed food here and there. Cause I think that's another thing, especially when like you ultimately cross into the, like raising a kid, you're told so much, like there's so much prescription for like what to do to have a child that whatever is like the brightest, smartest kid that they you can ever be. And like, they have to eat this perfect food and they have to have this perfect routine and they have to, and like, also like your kid's probably not going to like fit into that perfect thing. And so I think that that's, there's so much with the HA personality that then like can translate to like being a parent, because a lot of the stuff that you're going to try to do, because I mean, we, get, we all want our kids to be the most successful, the the brightest, the smartest, the happiest that they can be. But we actually don't have that amount of control that we think we do. And the people that are selling us these whatever plans to make sure that your kid gets into Harvard when they're like 12, it's just probably not going to work. And it's okay. <laughs> like your kids could be fine. <laughs> have you seen that like meme floating around on Instagram? I think where it's like uh, some dad that like had a tweet and he was like, my kid just got a face tat. Go ahead and formula feed. It doesn't matter. Like just like... <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, that's so funny. It's like so much pressure to like, you know, don't feed your kids processed foods don't feed your kids sugar. And I also think like, it's worth mentioning here that like, you know, understanding that kids are over 240 times more likely to develop an eating disorder than type two diabetes. And so while as a parent, you have an, you have autonomy to feed your child, however you see fit, whether that means sugar every day or sugar once a week, or like whatever you feel is best for your family. We also need to understand that like the language around how we communicate food and body to our children has to change if we want that statistic to change. Yeah. Well, and I even with my first, like I said, I had kind of come out the other side and like was definitely much more in like a much freer intuitive eating space. But I remember when six months hit with my first, I was like, oh, I'm only going to give her like initially. Right. And that that lasted all of probably like three months or whatever. And then I was like, here you go. Like have whatever, like here's some, here's some crackers. But you know, there was still, it's like, you almost get sucked back into like, oh, I have to feed them the perfect food and like all this stuff. And it's like, I'm trying to put that onto her and like, I'm not even doing that for myself anymore. So I had to almost like unlearn that with her. It was much easier with the second and the third. Cause then it's like, there's all these memes where it's sort of like by the second and the third, you're just like, whatever. French fries fries on the floor. Yeah. French fries on the floor. Like again, you'll be fine. Again, this is like kind of getting off topic, but the, the HA mindset, it also, I had it seep in with products where it's like, I had to only use the clean products and only use the clean makeup and only use clean everything. To that point, I read the book. It starts with an egg this summer. And I was Mm -hmm. like, so I, I could just feel my brain going, yes. I must change out everything. I must do this yes. literally like, to the point where I was, yep. oh my gosh, like is the plastic in our Nespresso thing, like seeping yeah. carcinogens into our coffee yes. every single morning. Like, you know, I think that some of us just have that personality type to take things to an extreme. So whether it's food or whether it's, you know, having toxic free living, like, you know, kind of, and I, and I tell us a lot to like my fertility clients is I'm like, you got to do the best that you can mm-hmm. and understand 
understand that like the stress that you create around toxins or dyes or sugar, like that impacts your blood sugar, inflammation, your overall health and well-being, probably more so than the actual foods and products themselves. Yeah. I mean, and I was the same way. I read it starts with an egg before having, I think I forget it was my second or third. And it was the same thing where I got like super paranoid about it. But then, you know, one of the things that for me, like will drag me back to reality is like, I'm obsessed with like my aloe yoga pants. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, they're at least super high in PFAS. And I'm just like, okay. And actually this was hilarious too. You know, of course I had to get like the super expensive, um, prenatal vitamins. I think I did like the seeking health at one point and it was like eight vitamins a day. I mean, and it was some absurd amount of money, but again, have to do what's perfect for my child, like all that stuff, but it was interesting. So the California, I think it's like prop 165 found there was like really high levels of lead in it. And it's because Mm -hmm. there's high levels of lead in spinach and in um, sweet potatoes, apparently. Like it's just, it's again, unfortunate, like the, the nature of um, like, like the soil. soil. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so they found that there was actually high levels in it to the point where like it needed a warning label. It literally said on the side of it, uh, this will cause, this could cause birth defects or something. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so it was kind of a wake up call that like, also, by the way, I could throw them out, but then if I'm eating spinach and sweet potatoes, which are like super healthy, I'm going to like be ingesting like this same amount of toxin or whatever. Like it's, this is an an unfortunate reality of just the world we live in. And you can kind of like go a little bit crazy or you can try to make peace with the fact that like, maybe you can switch out some things for things that are important to you, but then like, also you can do the stuff that like makes you feel good. And like, that's fine. And do the best you can at the same time, maybe don't go crazy about it because it's really not going to probably move the needle that much. Right. And like, yeah, exactly. And also thinking about like quality of like, like I know, like I have a friend who lives in Denver who's like very crunchy, um, like <laughs> free living and she's like, but I'm still going to get Botox. Like, sorry, oh, yes. you know, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. There just, there was this, I actually, I need to send this to you. I saw yesterday. It was like, again, it was a real, or maybe it was a TikTok video. And it was like your friends who are obsessive about all the like things like clean, toxic free, blah, 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 blah. Like sitting there waiting for their Botox appointment. Yes. 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 You know, it's not for everyone, but I think it also, I, I almost just like love that balance of reality of like, do what you can, what's important for you, but also like go on and live your life. If you want to get Botox, yeah. Botox, if you want to like, you know, have ice cream every single night, like have ice cream, right? Like yeah. life is short. Like you can't just live in this box of rules around products and food and yeah. lifestyle recommendations and like expect to have a full life. If you're just obsessed with like having to do everything to the nth degree. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is like the fear too. It's like, if you can like kind of approach it from the standpoint of, okay, like maybe I'll switch this out, but like take all the fear of, oh my gosh, if I don't do this, like, you know, almost like think like, well, what is going to happen? Like probably not a lot, but also if you want to switch it out because you feel better about it. Great. And I mean, I do use like seventh generation cleaning detergent and I have like my purity stain remover, which by the way, is like freaking awesome. But then again, it's like, I'm going to use my conventional makeup and I'm going to dye my hair and, you know, do all the stuff, like where my aloe PFAS pans and I freaking love them. Like, you know, yeah, (laughs) do the best. Well, and when we talk about even like, just go a step further, like piggybacking off of that, like social determinants of health, right? When we look at it, like pie chart, right? It's like, you know, how much we move, the products we use, the foods that we eat. We think like all of these things make up such a large percentage when in reality, it's, you know, quality of sleep, access to healthcare. Like there's so many things that play into health outcomes um, that I feel like we, we just really miss it because like we were just 
we're focusing on the things that we think we can control when reality, that might just be like 10% of the pie chart. Yeah. Oh, a thousand percent. But I mean, again, it's, I think like natural to try to want to control things and to, because you think like, oh, but if, if I can control it, like I should be, but, it, but it's like at what cost? And I think that that's where people a lot of times like forget they're not sort of aware of how, how it can be negatively affecting them and probably not for the outcome. Like it's like in a trade-off, it's like everything there's, there's a balance, right? There's a, there's a, a cost and a benefit. And like in, in some cases, if the cost is way out benefit, benefit, like, I don't know, this is why I love uh, Dr. Emily Oster, because yeah. she, I feel like just tends to try to quantify things and think through things in a very non scary way where it's like, okay, let's look at what the data says. Like you had coffee during your pregnancy. You had Tylenols during your pregnancy. Okay. So let's look at like what the research says, scary headline. What's the data? Okay. There was no new data. This is literally just a compilation of these like other research studies, which by the way, were a lot flawed and we don't know cause versus um, effect, right? Correlation, causation. Like anyway, I like things when they're quantified. (laughs) And even still, like you were talking about, even if there is like clear research that is leaning one way, Mm -hmm. like you as a individual get to make an informed decision, right? Like how I want to apply this information to my life or do I not? Do I want to Mm -hmm. like know that, you know, my yoga pants have, you know, whatever chemical in them and to wear them, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. We live in this sort of fear-based society where people can make money off of selling us fear. And so if you can understand like, well, this is, this is the data. Is there now maybe an increased risk of something happening? Yes. Do you want to do that still? The answer might be yes. The answer might be no. And you can make that informed decision. Right. And it's like, you know, I was talking about like, you know, exercise. I really love doing cardio. I know if I do it, it's going to like make me probably feel like shit for the rest of the day. I can still decide to do it, but then, or I can decide not to do it. Like, it's like, you know, kind of the same thing with, again, this intuitive eating, you can have this, whatever, whatever you want. And then, you know, it's going to make you feel a certain way. And and many times that's, that's worth it. And then sometimes you're like, all right, I'm just not going to feel great after. And that's okay too. Like, I don't know. It's it's one of these things Yeah. That's definitely like how I approach alcohol. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. most of the time I'm going to drink the amount that helps me to feel my best or not, you know, like I'm going to make that informed decision. And then sometimes I'm like, you know, is it worth having that third glass of wine? I know it's going to interrupt my sleep. I'm not going to feel great the next day. You know, if you're in the moment and you want to go for that, or like it would you know, help you to feel connected to those people more. Yeah. No, it, it, it is your choice. I think a lot of times too, like it can be, especially like for me, like kind of coming out of the whole like AJ thing. I mean, a lot of things for me as well. And I think she's talked about just like rewiring your brain. Is that she, she talks about that, I think. Right. Yeah. But just like, almost like trying to sink into like new patterns where it's like, okay, I, it used to be a pattern that every day or a habit that every day I would go to the gym at this amount of time and I would do this. And now it's a new pattern where I'm going to do something else. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to do a yoga. I'm going to do a stretch. I'm going to do something else. And you kind of get into that new routine. And I think for most of us, maybe especially people who have HA, like routines, as I said, have become like so important and it can be really hard to like break them. But then once you do, it becomes a lot easier. Yeah. And I know for me kind of now, obviously like being on the other side, I could never imagine going back to what <laughs> I had been doing. Like you couldn't pay me 
right. to ever do what I had been doing. Like right. th- there is no, <laughs> I think part of it, cause it's like, I've been like deprogrammed, if you will, with the sort of like, I must exercise this amount. I must eat this amount. I, like, I don't believe that anymore. So right. why would I do that? Right. But right. Really took a lot to get me to stop having those beliefs. That mm-hmm. was the hardest part. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was living a different way and seeing what happened. I mean, like, wow, it's not what I believed would happen. Like it's the total opposite. Right. And I don't know. I think that that was kind of an interesting thing. I mean, that what you describe is like what I try to tell my clients who are trying to come out of eating disorder recovery as, um, this is not an official term. I've made this up, but the point of no return where Mm -hmm. you have unlearned so much information and you have learned so much counter information that, and your lived experience, right? Like, I think that that's huge. Yeah. One thing to like read about this abstract concert concept is another oh, thing yeah. to experience it firsthand and to see the fruits of your labor. But this point of no return where it's like, I just don't believe that anymore. Like, I don't believe that that works. It hasn't worked for me. Even if that seems to be working for that person on Instagram or TikTok or that person who tells me all about, you know, their new, you know, whatever lifestyle, um, like just that, like I have so much like evidence and I have so much you know, good things going on in my life that I don't see myself ever going back to a restrictive over-exercise, intentional pursuit of weight loss, like that type of thing. Um, and I really believe that every person can get here. I do think that yeah. the, the journey is going to look different for people. I think it's going to take more time um, and more energy for different people, depending upon their situations and their influence. Um, but I do believe that everybody can can get to the side where this feels easy and fun. And that doesn't mean that you're never triggered, right? Like, I, I don't think that either of us are saying that, right? Um, but that you, again, just have such a different perspective. And I think that that's what, yeah. I think that that's what, if I could sum it all up, that's what like recovery looks like for me seven years later. And you can't unlearn the information about intuitive eating, the statistics on 95% of diets fail, two out of three people end up not only gaining the weight back, but gaining even more weight, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you can't unhear that information. Yeah. And it's interesting, you were talking about like being triggered. And I, as I said, I literally almost had to take myself out of a pregnancy support group because I was triggered all the time, right? By people literally like picture, like pictures of a small like belly only pregnancy. It was so triggering. And now, like I-, I couldn't care less. Like I see like a cute little belly. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at that, right? Or if someone's talking about like their diet, it literally like doesn't phase me. And it's the type of thing where it's like I never thought I would be like in a place where that's where I would be. And honestly, if I hear people talking about like their crazy diets and stuff, I'm like, I feel bad for you, right? Exactly. And it's like, yeah. whereas I literally used to feel exactly what you had said, which is I'm going to do this have a kid. And then I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. And, and if I saw people who were able to recover, well, not really recovering Mm -hmm. again, that was very triggering to me too. Mm -hmm. Or if I saw people use um, fertility treatments to get pregnant, I get, I, I felt like annoyed that I hadn't thought to do that almost. And then now I'm like, I'm so grateful that I had to go through this because coming out the other side again, like I literally never thought it'd be possible to get to a place where I can just exist how I want to exist, eat when I'm hungry, like walk when I want to walk, do what I want to do. And just kind of my body kind of does what it wants to do. And like, I, to your point, you talked about this weight management thing. And and again, this is obviously based on my lived experience. Like I fully believe that that shit doesn't work. I mean, I think part of it is also the intuitive eating where you're just also like tuning into how you feel because you feel when you feel good and you know, when you don't feel good to your point, I'm so grateful for it because I happen to have three girls And I would not ever wish on them. Like, I want to be there to explain to them, like, 
this is how your body works. Like you Mm -hmm. don't need to micromanage every single little thing. And, you know, hopefully I can be a counterbalance at at the end of the day. There's only so much control you have over your kids. Like you can try to give them the information and they can probably sit there and say, you don't know anything, especially when they become a teenager. Um, Yes. Bracing myself days, but yeah. But I still want, you know, I think that having me try to sit there and explain to them, like this, people come in all body sizes and you know, your size, like if you really try to control it, it's probably not going to work. Like maybe it works for a little bit and then it's not. And then you're just kind of in this, I'm going to call it a prison of obsessing over what you eat and how much you exercise. And it it's not going to change anything. Like you are who you are and you can either learn to love it and embrace it, or you can fight it. And it's a lot nicer when you don't fight it. Yeah. I also think too, and I tell this to a lot of my clients who like, I think a lot of times people start into recovery and they're like, okay, well, I'm okay with, you know, gaining five pounds or 10 pounds. Mm. And they have this kind of like predetermined amount of weight or a predetermined number that they are okay with. But if they were over that number, then like, you know, in their minds, like the world stops turning, everything crumbles. Like I am unlovable. I'm unworthy. Like Mm. it is the end. And what I always tell people is that like, you're probably going to have to go past that number and it's going to be the best thing for your recovery. Because once you finally break outside of this like little box that you've put yourself in, you realize that your body can exist and be okay and healthy and even thrive outside the confines that you've set for yourself. And once you can do that, I think is when you can really start to adopt a intuitive approach to food and movement and recognizing Mm -hmm. that regardless of where my body ends up, like I can, I don't have to love it, but I can be okay with where I am. And I think that that's so important. And I think that like, to your point about never thought that I could be this place where like, you know, I don't have to try so hard and do all the things, but like, you've probably also gotten to a place through all of your pregnancies, through HA recovery, where like you have probably existed at a variety of different body sizes and it's, been okay. And so now Mm -hmm. like the pressure doesn't exist for you to be size X or weight X because you're okay with that. You can just be here, you know, and recognize like when we're 75, we're not going to look the same as we do when we're almost 40, you know, like, like just kind of the freedom that I think exists in that too is really important. Yeah. And, and again, it's like the body is so freaking smart and it's, it's really kind of crazy. And I I think it's a little nuts when we sit here and think, wow, I can outsmart how many years worth of like evolution or whatever. Like, no, you're, you, I don't know. And I guess one other little pet peeve is when people would always talk about like, quote unquote, binging, like during recovery. And it's like, you're not, you're literally like your body is trying to make up for lost energy and it is doing what it has been through how many, again, years of evolution programmed to do to keep you alive. And we look at it like it's like a moral failure or someone like tries to like diet or, or eat this little amount and then they're hungry. And it's like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm greedy or something's terrible. And you're like, yeah. no, you're a freaking yeah. human being. Right. Like, you're trying, you, you want to be a robot. Like that's, that's not, that's not how people work. Right. Um, but it's funny how, again, there's so much morality placed on food and hunger is looked at as almost like a weakness. And it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, it's funny because I feel like I, I do eat a lot and uh, I kind of wear it as like a badge of honor. <laughs> like 
<laughs> if yeah. I eat more than my husband or, yeah. um, you know, my, my, my little brother, again, I, call but I think it's husband. good. Like, especially as a mom, of yeah. girls, I mean, I think about like the era that we grew up in and it was very like, you know, uh, like I saw something on social media the other day. It was like, can we cancel white lunch for ladies? Like how many like male dominated functions is there ever a light lunch served? Like it's like, it's like no. feminine thing. But I also think that's like so cool as like a mom of girls for you to be like, yeah, like I'm going to eat mm-hmm. a burger and fries, or I'm going to oh, yeah. eat as much as daddy. Like, I think that that's like a really healthy thing for, especially like if your girls are active, like women need a lot of food, you know, moms mm-hmm. need a lot of food, you know, like, yeah. I think that that's, I think that that's like a positive thing. I think sometimes when you're trying to control things so much, like this, this happens with, I think also whether it's like school and you're trying to get good grades or it happens with um, work and you're, you're so fixated on being everything perfect that it really Fs you up. And I think that there's something about that too, when it comes to like the food in the sense that when you're trying to control so much, again, you see something and it's like, you go, you're like, I need to eat all of it. And when you just kind of like let loose, like I'm going to have some, like whatever, you kind of just like the let loosen the control a little bit. It's not, it's not a big deal. Like, I don't know. I just think like this Uber fixation on control really can mess us up sometimes. I mean, and if we just let go. In the context of like food and moderation, it almost always backfires, almost always. Um, And that's something that we talk about in learning intuitive eating. It's just the idea of food food habituation, right? If you haven't had it 14 years, and even if you're allowing yourself to have the donut for the first time, there's 14 years of restriction. And if there's still a lot of language of, oh my gosh, don't eat this. This is going to make you fat. This is going to make you have Mm -hmm. XYZ gut symptom. Um, This is so unhealthy, right? Like if all that is spiraling around in your head and you're physically having the donut, you're going to be more triggered to binge, but not because, you know, sugar is addictive, not because, you know, you lack willpower, but because of the perfection and the rules and restrictions that have been ingrained in your head. And now you're going against something that you're just setting yeah. up for failure. And so if you were to go into the same situation with a different mindset of donuts are not bad, mm-hmm. there are foods that are health promoting and there are foods that are you know, maybe not as health promoting, but they taste good and they're fun. And yeah. I can have a donut today. I can have six donuts today. I can have one. And regardless of how much I eat, that doesn't change who I am as a person. I can have a donut tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And when we start to have like that flip in how we approach eating and food the moderation comes on its own. Well, that's, that's the thing that I was also going to say. And again, if this is triggering for your listeners, please feel free to edit it out. But, you know, I spent so much of my life trying to control my size and in the beginning it quote unquote worked, right? Cause like in the beginning it does, I was also like 18, 15, whatever. And then as I got, you know, further down, I was so, again, so rigid with my food rules, so rigid with my exercise And then, you know, after kind of coming through this journey, now I also have three kids at home, but like my set point is probably is lower or my weight is lower than it was when I was like really tightly trying to control it because it's just like, it's where it just settled. And again, and I've been higher, I've been lower, but like when, when you remove the, the crazy like fixation, your body just kind of does what it wants to do. And that's what I meant by like the, the trying to control so much. I just think it, it can be very counterproductive. And again, not that it's like good or bad that it's lower. It's just, it's an interesting takeaway that when I was like, so fixated on trying to maintain this size, I couldn't. And then when I stopped, it was like, anyway, it's, it's a weird, it's weird. 
I, I mean, it. I want, like, I actually don't like that you brought this up. I think we'll leave it in, but to also paint some context for listeners, because I, I feel like this is like the dream that everyone wants to get to. That's true. But this is also what people expect. Okay. I'm six months into recovery. Why am I not at my set point range? Why am I not back down to that size that I thought was the set point range? Why do I still hate my body? Y'all, this is seven years later that Kristen and yeah. I had this conversation. Yeah. Right? So like, if you're six months into recovery, 18 months into recovery, like just have grace with yourself and recognize that you can exist and be happy at variety of different sizes, set point rate, weight ranges, dynamic. Kristen and I genetically have been privileged. Like we, my mom is small, like our family is small. We're not like you know, rails, but like we, you know, the genetically, when I think back to like what my kind of size was before I started dieting, which was at a young age, similar to you, but like, I've just never been a big kid. Like that's just not my genes. and, And I do want to highlight that. Like I have worked with, and I hope I will continue to work with clients in, you know, medium to larger size bodies and recognizing that, you know, I, don't feel like people need to be a certain size to be healthy, yeah. to be their best. And, um, and understanding too, and also just having like a little bit of like grace with the idea that like, if you don't like like where your body ends up, if you don't genetically like your set point weight range, like, um, you know, be the best selves through recovery, yeah. through starting your own businesses, like all the things. So that means a lot to me. And, yeah, I just want to be like what we had to work so hard to have, like in our community. Yeah. I want to be that for people, whether that's just over Instagram or over a podcast or if they're a client of mine. So I appreciate that. And this is so fun just having like full circle um, and letting you tell your story and share your wisdom. So thanks for your time today. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. If you found this episode to be inspiring or helpful, please share on social media and tag me at food.freedom.fertility. Also, don't forget to leave a rating and a review.